and it is the first time I have had the privilege of um, being able to preach from the book of Isaiah. Uh, so for me, there's a couple of first things uh, happening today, which I'm really excited about. Uh, and I'm hoping that as we begin our series uh, looking at the book of Isaiah, that uh, it is a great experience. It is a really encouraging reminder of the awesome uh, sovereignty and power of our, of our God. Uh, so I'm going to be um, beginning by taking a look at uh, um, chapters 40 onwards uh, to 48. So if you've got Bibles with you, um, I'm going to be looking at large sections of the passage flicking through um, the book of Isaiah. So it helps um, if you've got it in front of you. So when I'm referring back to and talking about it, uh, to have it in front of you so we all can kind of see that what I'm saying comes from God's Word and I'm not making it up and helps follow along as well. Um, but before we go any further, let me pray uh, and then we'll um, get started uh, diving into the book of Isaiah. Let's pray. Lord God, we do want to praise you for your complete sovereignty over all creation. We want to praise you that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you are the one who made us, you are the one who created everything and moves everything according to your great plan of salvation. And we pray that today, Lord, as we take a look at your word, at your acts in history and how you are moving and raising and shaping uh, nations, Lord, according to your great plan of salvation, that what we see and hear is encouraging to us, Lord, a great reminder that you are our God, we are your people, a great encouragement to our faith, Lord, to spur one another on to love and good deeds towards serving you and glorifying you. We pray that the gift of your Spirit will be at work in our hearts now, helping us to understand, challenging us, Lord, and encouraging us. Amen. Uh, so today we are beginning a whole new series, taking a look at the book of Isaiah, uh, taking a look in particular at the second half of the book of Isaiah, from chapters uh, 40 uh, through to 66. Uh, today we're only going to be taking a look at uh, the first eight chapters of that section, chapters 40 to 48, at a fairly high level. Uh, can't get stuck into the details, unfortunately, over eight chapters of a, an incredibly immense book that is full of so much rich uh, theology and history. Uh, and as we dive into the book of Isaiah, starting at chapter 40, you may be wondering uh, why we're starting a whole new series uh, two-thirds of the way through a book like Isaiah. Uh, for, many, you, you, for many of you, it might seem a bit like just uh, closing your eyes, uh, randomly opening the Bible, grabbing your finger and just pointing to a page of the Bible going, let's start a sermon series from there. But... Uh, when you understand the structure of Isaiah, uh, it actually makes sense to begin a series starting at chapter 40. Uh, so what I'm going to do is, uh, because uh, I kind of need to make the most of my time here this morning, uh, because there's so much going on in the book of Isaiah, I'm just going to dive straight into, uh, into it and uh, start by putting the book of Isaiah and our sermon series into context uh, to help understand why we're starting at verse, uh, chapter 40. And to start with, uh, as a bit of context to the whole book, uh, Isaiah was a book written roughly 700 BC, give or take a few decades. Uh, most people agree that it's made up of three parts to it, uh, each part looking further and further into the future. And so part one uh, of the book of Isaiah is chapter 1 through to 39, uh, where Isaiah, uh, where, and where from where Isaiah stands uh, as he's writing the book, it's looking roughly a hundred years into the future. Chapters one to thirty-nine look at roughly a hundred years into the future from where Isaiah stands, looking towards the coming exile. 
the time when God will send his people to Babylon in exile, to a time when God will kick his people out of his promised land uh, and send them to Bab- Babylon in captivity uh, because of their sin. And then like, just like, it's a bit like Adam and Eve, uh, the way God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden to live in exile in a cursed and fallen and sin-stained world, uh, God will kick his people out of the promised land because of their sin. Uh, in fact, have a listen. It's the other first thing. I've never used one of these clickers as well, so it's a day of first for me. I'm, I'm not sure I'm gonna how I'm going to go with this, but we'll find out. Um, but have a listen to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. The way the whole book now uh, begins uh, with uh, a warning to the nation how he's going to kick them out into exile because of this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager. But Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evil doers. Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. You see, God's people have been taken captive by their sin. They're given over to corruption. Elsewhere, we're told that they're people full of superstition, full of idol worship. They're proud, immoral, full of greed. And so over and over again, for the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, God warns his people, our time is coming when I will make your physical state match your spiritual state. Like Adam and Eve, I'm going to exile you from the promised land where I will purge and refine you till you are righteous. Have a listen to chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares... Sorry, Pete, can you actually do it? Because I, I can't quite tell when I need to change slides. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterwards, you will be called, called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So that's the context behind uh, what we're, the, this, our series today. In part one, chapters 1 to 39, uh, Isaiah looks ahead to the coming exile, a hundred odd years into the future, when God will punish his people for their sins and make their physical state match their spiritual state. But in the end, God promises that he will bring his people home to live with him forever. That's the context behind today's passage. And as we Turn now to chapter 40. We turn now to the beginning of part two in the book of Isaiah. And in part two, Isaiah now lifts his eyes and looks further in time, this time looking about 170 years into the future, uh, to a time when God's promise of hope and comfort and restoration and deliverance finally arrives. So in fact, take a look at Isaiah 40 verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. 
So the message of, of, of today's passage, chapters 40 to 48, is this. The time has come for God to bring his people home, to rescue his people from their sin and their oppression. The time has gone for, come to bring his people home, to live with him forever in peace and comfort. And in many ways, the message of Isaiah, the message of today's passage, mirrors the message surrounding Adam and Eve. That mirrors the story of, of humanity. So if you remember the, the, the accounts in Genesis, if you remember the book of Genesis, you remember the way God has exiled us. The way God has exiled all humanity from his promised land because of our sin and our rebellion. And so like Israel in captivity, God's people today still long to return back home. We long to be rescued from this sin-filled, cursed and fallen world that we live in. And we long to be made, to be brought home and live with God forever in peace and comfort and security. And that's why Babylon is used as a metaphor throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible in many ways, to symbolize captivity and exile and oppression. And so if life is hard and tough for you, if you understand what it's like to feel oppressed, what it's like to feel captive to some sort of cycle of sin in this world, if you know what it's like to be held captive to hurt, to sadness, to sickness, to fear, to oppression then you understand what it's like to be held captive in exile. You know what it's like for God's people to long for the day when they will be brought home to live in peace and comfort and security with God. But more than that, as we keep taking a look at the book of Isaiah, working our way through chapters 40 to 48, and as we come now to, to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 in particular, we see that that day of peace and comfort... And deliverance is coming because God himself is coming. We can look forward to that day of comfort of being brought home to live with him because God himself is coming to do that in person. Take a look at verse 3. Uh, and by the way, as we take a look at this verse, keep this verse in mind because this verse is going to come up later because we're going to see that the Gospel of Mark uses this verse to actually explain why Jesus came into the world what Jesus came to do and who he is. So as we take a look at this verse now, at the way God himself is coming in the flesh, keep it in mind because we're going to see it a little bit later. But take a look at chapter 40, verse, verse 3. It says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And again, down in verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So after exiling, he, exiling his people to, the, to, to Babylon, where their physical state will match their spiritual state, after sending them out into captivity for their sins, 
you can be sure that that day of comfort and hope is coming because God himself is going to come. The glory of the Lord himself is going to come and deliver them. And for eight chapters, for chapters 40 to 48, Isaiah reinforces this message over and over again. Hope and comfort and deliverance is coming because your God, the glory of the Lord, our Saviour, our Creator is coming. He is coming in person to deliver His people. But the problem is, as we keep reading chapters 40 to 48, and as we keep seeing this theme of deliverance and hope and restoration, as we keep seeing the theme of God coming Himself in person to rescue them, to bring them home, there is another message that is being repeated over and over again in chapters 40 to 48. It's like waves. He just keeps repeating the themes for eight chapters. You see, just as the God of all creation is coming to bring His people home, to give them peace and comfort, it is also clear when you read your section, that our God is coming to deliver His people. He's coming to deliver a people still covered in sin. See, God isn't coming to deliver his, an innocent group of people. God isn't coming to rescue people who deserve to be saved. No, He's coming to rescue people who are still covered in their sin, despite the 70 years of exile. Have a listen to Isaiah 48, verse 1 says this, uh, and, the, and the, this is how Isaiah, the section that we're looking at today, 40 to 48, ends. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth and righteousness, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, down to verse 4, for I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze, down to verse 8. You have neither heard nor understood. From of old, your ears have not been opened. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as to not destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. See, the words here are completely uh, rebuking the, God, the people of Israel, God's people, for the way they are stiff-necked, for the way they've been rebels from birth. So after 70-odd years of captivity and exile, God's people still remain covered in sin. They are still stubborn. And in verse 1, they're great at talking about God and saying they follow God, but it's more superficial lip service. Their faith is skin deep and it doesn't seem to be backed up with uh, faithful actions or a righteous life. And in verse 8, for centuries, God has been sending prophets and priests continually, one after another, to tell God's people how He wants them to live, how He, how he wants them to love God, and after 70, even after 70 odd years of exile and judgment for their rebellion and their sin and their idolatry, their stiff-necked people just won't listen. 
they remain covered in their sin. And for us, I think this is something that we could probably totally relate to when we stop and think about how often do we go through some really hard phase in our own life, some really difficult period in our life where we just long to get through it and ask God for deliverance and we ask Him why and we ask Him, please take this away. But in the midst of it all, we still sin. In the midst of our hardship, in our troubles, and our struggles, and our pain, in the midst of our prayers, we still sin in our own way. So it's easy to see how after 70-odd years of exile or judgment for their sins, God's people remain stiff-necked and stubborn, saying the right things, asking God for help, but still living life their own way, picking and choosing how they want to live, what they want to do. And at the end of verse 8, it's clear that God's people have always been rebels, right from birth. Now, he's clearly, as he's saying these words, as he's talking uh, to God's people, he's clearly got Israel in mind at this point. The people who are about to go in exile are clearly his audience that he's talking to. But it's also easy to see how Isaiah actually has all of humanity in mind as he says these things. Uh, you see, humanity's always been rebellious against God. We've always rebelled against God ever since the beginning of creation, from the time of Adam and Eve through to us today. We've constantly been stubborn and inclined to sin, just like God's people in the book of Isaiah. So God himself is not coming to rescue his people because they deserve it. No, God's, God is coming to rescue his people for the sake of his glory for nothing else other than for the sake of his glory. You see, way back in the book of Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, you are my people, I am your God, for the sake of my glory, I won't let you go. And so God will bring his people home to live with him in peace. And he will come to do it himself, even though God's people in the book of Isaiah clearly don't deserve it. And even though Isaiah 40 to 48 is focusing specifically on the return of Israel from their exile around about 530 BC, Isaiah could easily be describing the, the return of all of God's people from this fallen creation. You see, the way God kicked his people, Adam and Eve, out of the garden to live in exile... And the way God's people have been rebels from the beginning of creation, but still long to be brought home to live with God forever. See, that reminds us that the events that happened to God's people here in the book of Isaiah, well, they were, they're a type, they're a lesson, they're an example given to us to teach us what God's actually doing for all of creation through Jesus. See, as we see God speak to the people of Israel in the book of Isaiah, telling them, your hope and your comfort is coming, but I'm going to come in person to do it, not because you deserve it, but because of my grace and my mercy and my love for you. That story of, in Isaiah is an example given to all of us to show what God is actually going to do on a much larger scale through Jesus. And you see that as we turn now to the Gospel of Mark. See, when you turn to Mark's Gospel, it begins with a direct quote from Isaiah 40. Uh, And that's because 
See, Mark begins his whole gospel with a quote from Isaiah 40 because he wants us to understand that what happened in the book, uh, what happened to Israel in the book of Isaiah, the way God promised to come himself and bring his people home, even while they were still sinners, explains who Jesus is and what he has come to do for all of God's people. So have a listen to the way Mark chapter 1 verse 1 begins with a quote from Isaiah 40. Have a listen to this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger, that's John the Baptist. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And so John the Baptist is a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when you open up the Gospel of Mark and you see the way it begins with a direct quote from the, from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah 40, uh, telling you to get ready for the coming of the Lord, well, it's made clear that because he begins the whole book with a direct quote from Isaiah pointing to the coming Jesus, coming, the coming Lord, it's clear you're meant to have the story of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in the back of your mind as you take, as you continue to read the gospel, you're meant to see Jesus as God himself, the coming glory of the Lord come in the flesh to bring his sin-filled, rebellious people home, to live with him forever in the kingdom of God. That's why Mark goes on to say in verse 14 this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. The time, ha- the time for God's people to live in God's place under God's rule has come. So repent and believe the good news. So when you read Mark's Gospel... You can completely understand who Jesus is and what he came to do without knowing anything about the Old Testament, without knowing anything about the book of Isaiah. Uh, There's no question about that. On its face value, as you read it, you can understand and know exactly who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But when you understand the book of Isaiah is the background to the gospel of Mark, Uh, And when you understand what God is doing for his people himself in the book of Isaiah, well, I think, and then you see that being played out in the life of Jesus and what he has come to do and who he is, I think that completely deepens, it really deepens your understanding. Because when you look at the events that happen in Isaiah, that's what Jesus came to do. Only Jesus came to do it on a, on a universal scale, on an all-creation, heaven and earth scale. Uh, the events of Isaiah focus on a few countries in the Middle East, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Sin, all battling over or, or fighting for control and power over God's people, holding them in captivity, being used by God to bring judgment on his people. That was God using these countries as a lesson as an example, a shadow to teach what God was going to do for all of his people throughout time, throughout history, on a universal, all-creation scale. See, in Jesus, we see God come in the flesh as God the Son, 
come to deliver his people from their captivity to sin and Satan. You see, Jesus came to deliver his people out of exile, to deliver them from their sin-filled, cursed creation and deliver deliver them, to deliver us into the kingdom of God, to live with him forever. So when you understand Jesus came to fulfill Isaiah on a heaven and earth scale and you see that rescue played out in the gospel with the casting out of demons, calming storms, raising the dead. It shapes the way you look at Jesus. See, it shapes the way you look at Jesus. He is more than just a blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy who likes to, polite man who likes to go around patting children on the head and giving us a comfortable life. Now, he is the God of all creation, come in the flesh as God the Son, to deliver his people, to deliver us from our captivity to sin and Satan and exile. And he has now called us to now repent and believe the good news. So if you believe the good news that Jesus is God in the flesh, come as God the Son, come to deliver us from captivity through his death and resurrection, then the challenge for us is to repent and believe the good news. See, this side of eternity will keep on sinning and falling short of the glory of God. But we are told to repent, to put to sin, to put to death the sin in our bodies. So the challenge for us, after looking at Isaiah and seeing what God has done in history, the way that our God was moving and directing nations, raising them up, bringing them down, using these nations to teach us, to train us about what his great plan of salvation will be through Jesus. The challenge for us after looking at Isaiah and his sovereignty and power over every nation to do his, to bring about the fulfillment of his plan is to have a big understanding of Jesus. See, that was small scale when you look at the book of Isaiah. That is small scale to what he's doing through Jesus. So when you look at Isaiah, we need to see that and have a bigger understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He is the God of all creation, come in the flesh to bring you and me, to bring all of God's people out of captivity so we can live with him forever. And as we take a look at Jesus, he has done that. He has delivered us from our captivity through his faithfulness to God, through his death and resurrection in the the cross. And we now look forward to the day when he will return to bring us home, to live with him forever. And that is something that gives us the hope, the comfort, the joy that we need as we go through life and continue to experience the struggles of living in a sin-filled, cursed world. This is not all there is. We have been delivered We have been set free from our captivity and when Jesus returns, we will be taken home to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. And that is something to rejoice over. So let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you, Father, for the the way you came in the flesh, the way you came as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We want to thank you, Father, for the way you have delivered us from captivity to sin and to Satan the way that you have come to bring us home, 
we thank you, Lord, that through the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection, we have now been set free. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to live as your people as we, as we look forward to the day that he will return to bring us home to live with you forever. We thank you for that great hope that we have. Amen.